Good morning and welcome to the Jesuit Institute R here on Radio Veritas. My name's Francis Correa and this morning I'll be chatting with a group of people. In studio I have Margot Bertelsmann and we'll also be talking to Professor Bornman and some other people as well. And we're going to be focusing today on the crisis of in, on education, but we're going to be focusing on it kind of through a particular lens, and that is the lens of children with disabilities. So we'll get into this a little bit more as we get into the program, but children with disabilities seemingly are doubly disadvantaged in South Africa, in our world, and that is because not only are they battling with whatever their disability may be, but our current education system is failing them, and this is shown by the fact that about 70% of the children with disabilities apparently aren't in any form of schooling, and that's really a shocking statistic. So in the studio with me this morning, I have Margot Bertelsman, Margot Doherty, she's not, she is now, she writes under her uh, maiden name. But Margot has written an article in the Your Baby magazine on focusing on the special needs schooling and focusing on special needs. And, I, and so, Margot, tell Hello. us a little bit about yourself and tell us why you're interested in this particular topic. Okay. <laughs> I'm a freelance writer. Uh, I write often for Your Baby magazine. The issue on shelf at the moment um, has this one-page article on a focus on special needs, which just really is a very, very broad overview on the state of play at the moment, which is, <clears throat> I think, using the word crisis wouldn't be overstating it. My interest in special needs is because I'm also the mother of a child with special needs. My son, Richie, is six years old. He was born with spina bifida. Okay. And I know we're going to talk a little bit later about his schooling experience. So, so just for those of us who don't know anything about this, who, who want to, to, for whom the word spina bifida mean nothing, okay. won't you just tell us what that means? So spina bifida is a, is a birth defect. So it's something that um, starts to happen in utero while the baby's growing. Um, in our case, it was undiagnosed until birth. But what it basically is, is if you think about your spine as sort of the zip that zips up the two halves of your body, um, in spina bifida, one of the teeth of the zips hasn't closed properly. There's a gap. Something's gone wrong. And sometimes even some uh, spinal fluid, spinal cord protrudes through that gap in the zip. And that causes nerve damage often to the lower limbs, bladder and bowel. Um, so pe children with people with spina bifida might not be able to walk or they might be able to walk with assistance. They might have some uh, sensation loss in their lower body. And yeah, problems with with bowel, bowel, bowel and bladder. Okay, so <laughs> yeah. so they're dealing with a disability, mm. but it 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 doesn't necessarily impede their engaging in a normal school or in learning. Well, you know, if we're talking about barriers to access, um, physically, those children might encounter a physical barrier yeah. in the sense that they, if they're a wheelchair user, their wheelchair might not physically be able to get up. Uh, stairs in a in a in a school traditional school setting, but barring that physical barrier to access, there should be no other barrier to okay. to access. Um, speed, you know, it, that's once once maybe a child is old enough to uh, do certain self care right. for themselves. Okay, so mm. we're going to talk more with Margot in in a little bit. We're going to explore a little bit more about what she experienced and about her son's 
um, engagement in schooling and how they manage that and how they are managing that. We're also going to talk a little bit more in the show to two other moms who have special needs kids and we'll, we'll hear about their experience and the things they've chosen to do. But what we're going to do now is we're going to have a, a brief ad break and then we're going to chat to Professor Bornman for whom this is really an area of study, that she's done a whole area of research into education and special needs, and we're going to just get a sense from her of what the problems are and where things are in the country. So we have Professor Bornman from the Centre for Augmentative and Alternative Communication from the University of Pretoria on the line. Good morning, Professor. Good morning, Francis. Good to talk to you. Yes, thank you very much for joining us. So, Professor, we've been talking to Margot Bertelsmann about the article she wrote, and I know she interviewed you when she, when she wrote it. And in it, you talk, well, you told her about how almost 70% of the children with disabilities in the country aren't actually in formal schooling. And I wonder if you just want to tell us a little bit more about that and about, about what, you, what you think about what's going on with children with special needs. Okay. Well, first of all, I think it's important that the... Uh, percentage of children with disabilities who are currently out of school has fortunately come down a little bit. I don't think it's as high as 70% anymore. Okay. Um, but there is approximately um, close to uh, half a million children with disabilities who are currently out of school. Wow. That's what the latest prevalence figures are telling us. So there still is a significant proportion of children who are of school-going age and who should be in schools who are not actually accessing schools. And I think this is really a multifaceted problem. So there are lots of different factors that feed into that. And I think um, some of the things might be related to teachers, for example, that feel uncomfortable in, in dealing with disabilities because they have not received a lot of training and they haven't had extensive support in dealing with children with disability in the classroom context. I think a lot of schools are full to capacity and therefore taking in a child that has additional support needs is also challenging. Some parents are not aware of the rights that their children have in terms of actually having to go and having to attend schools. So -hmm. they are not enforcing this right uh, to, to make sure that their children go to school. And then I think it also relates very often to the type of disability that, that a child has, because in our country we still have a special school system, and those special schools are very often disability-specific. For example, you would have a school for children who are blind. Mm-hmm. Now, the moment you have a child that has a multiple disability, so, for example, blindness together with the intellectual impairment, placement of that child makes it very difficult because the child does not really fit into either a school for children only with uh, intellectual impairment or only for a, for a child that has visual impairment. So some of those things are, of, are often um, the factors that, that prohibit inclusion in school. Okay, so, so there you're kind of talking about inside of the special schools system, those schools being specifically geared to one disability and then not really managing when they're multiple disabilities. So that's a, that's a particular kind of um, problem. I was also struck, you know, when I think about the country's history, there's a, there, there was, we, we're shaped a bit, I think, in our thinking by apartheid. And is there any um, way in which that sense of separating people who are different out might shape how we think about educating children with special needs? 
I think we really have a history, unfortunately, of separating people into different boxes. And that also relates to disability. So we have this notion of because you have particular attributes, you belong in a particular box, whether that be in the old apartheid era, whether that was race, or whether that now has to do with abilities. We place labels on people, and because of that, we, we haven't had children that um, have grown up with differently abled friends and peers at school. And if we are not exposed to people with disability, it just makes it so much more difficult to get to understand the condition because we know the old saying of unknown is unloved. So mm-hmm. if you've never had a friend that has a disability, where should you learn about disability? And we are just perpetuating that problem by having all of these separate, separate um, entities the whole time and making sure that, that children don't get the opportunity to, to interact with each other. So, I mean, it, it also raises the sense, just as we know that um, apartheid kind of, it, uh, it diminished our lives because because we weren't allowed to encounter others who were different, we, we had a, a less rich, less fulfilling life experience, uh, as well as all the other economic um, and cultural problems attached to that. But I just, I just wonder if you, if you might explore a little for us, what are some of the advantages uh, to a school for being exclusive, uh, inclusive, sorry, to a, what, are the advantages, <laughs> what advantages would it be to a mainstream school to make to work on capacity building so that it can integrate special needs children into yeah. into the school? Yeah, I think that's a very interesting question. And very often people look at that question only from one perspective. And that is, so what are the advantages for the child with disability? Now, of course, that ha- has one set of advantages. And, of course, those advantages relate around things like having uh, peers, having friends, being included, because the moment when we exclude people, we actually also raise their vulnerability. So I work a lot uh, around issues of abuse and neglect of people with disability. And if you are at home and you are hidden from society, a lot of those issues are just perpetuated because you don't have the opportunity to be in contact and, and to make contact with other people um, to expose some of these things. So mm-hmm. there's that whole notion of you become more and more socially isolated And with that, of course, then you don't have education, you can't later uh, have a job, uh, and you remain a sort of a burden, if you like, an economic burden, because you never get the opportunity to also participate economically in in society. But that's only one part of of the benefits. I think we also have to look at what are the benefits for the typically developing peers in the classroom context. And that relates to a bigger and a greater understanding and a valuing of diversity, of really understanding that we are all extremely different. Um, I think I like to think of people, if we think of disability, not like something of trying to make this uh, multi-ability soup where we all just become like one one entity, but it's more like a fruit salad where, where you can still see This is an apple, this is a banana, this is an orange. So where we can really see people with their unique attributes and value all of those things. Because we can't all run equally fast or uh, be equally good at music or at math 
or at any of those things. And this just helps children to understand humanity in its broadest and in its best, deepest diversity. So we're talking here really about the role of school not just being educative, but really being formative, that schools play, and they do play, such an important part in the formation of who we are as persons and how we understand our our humanity. Exactly, because the whole purpose of school is not only for educational purposes. There was a large study that was conducted in Europe in which they asked parents, what are your hopes and what are your dreams for your children? And both parents of children with disability and parents of children without disability answered in exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. They said, we want our children to lead rich and rewarding lives and have friends. I mean, uh, I'm a parent. I relate to that. That is primarily <laughs> what I want for my children. You know, only secondarily do I want them to be Bill Gates. <laughs> it, it, exactly, because if they're happy, I think that that really is the essence of of humanity. I think. Yes. Yeah. So that they feel that they fit in some way. That, that that you want them to be fulfilled and to be able to to engage and to deal with other people. Yeah. That makes that makes a lot of sense. And so, integrating differently able children into um, the school environment challenges, I can see how it would challenge children to have to learn to deal with difference from an early age. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. And, and in a study that I did with young grade one children, uh, I told them a story and then I asked them to draw some pictures about a child with a disability. And it's actually really interesting because children are not born with prejudice and children are not born in seeing disability um, with the stigma and the myths attached to it. That comes from the adults in the environment that that actually transfer some of their own misperceptions onto the children because children are naturally curious about difference. And I think it's up to us to make sure that, that we tell them and that we give them the right information in terms of why some of their friends are different. And in this study, I thought it was quite cute because there were a big uh, gender difference between what the grade one boys and and girls said. Mm -hmm. When I asked the the girls what they would do with this friend that has a disability, all of them immediately fed into the social aspect. He can be my friend. I'll share my my sandwiches with him. He can sit next to me. Um, I'll help him with this and that. Whereas the boys, immediately, the grade ones, uh, immediately went into all of the practical issues. They'll help design a wheelchair that can climb stairs, or they will make a machine that can talk on his behalf or whatever. And, and I thought that was so interesting because the children were not focused and hung up on the disability. They were hung up on this kid as a person and how to help him to be integrated in the classroom context, the things that are important for grade one kids. Mm, that sounds. I mean, that's a, it's a, it's just a lovely story that, and it, it really does show how how our attitudes and our perceptions and prejudices are learned behaviours later on. They're not innate to grade ones. Grade ones are only interested in how can we get you into the into the group. Yeah, yeah. So whether it be with a wheelchair that can climb stairs, or whether it is about sharing my sandwiches, <laughs> that mm. that's what's important for them. I just want to, just before we end, I just want to um, end with the last few questions. One is about South African law. Now, quite often on this show, we talk about how things actually are in the world and then how the Constitution protects our rights. And the reality is we know that in many, many um, areas, there is a real disjunction between 
what we have in terms of legislation and how things really are on the ground. Uh, it's, 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 I sometimes feel as though we live in a world in which, in South Africa, in which legislation is the ideal South Africa we want to live in, and we are desperately trying to get there. But can you talk a little bit about what South African law does say about the rights of special needs children and and just give me a sense of how big that disjuncture is. Yeah. First of all, I think it's important to think or to realize that that's not only a unique South African problem. There are lots of countries that have the sort of disjunction, as you say, between what we call the policies so, and what we have in terms of the practices, so how those policies are interpreted and carried out. Mm-hmm. Um, if we look at the South African law, we have the White Paper 6, And unfortunately, after more than 20 years of being a white paper, that white paper has not yet become a specific law in our country. However, that does not mean that it's not binding. But I think that really is one of the things that people are working on actively to try and see how we can make sure that that becomes a binding legal law, Mm -hmm. not only a white paper. But then we are also signatories of the United Nations Conventions, And there are two very important conventions here in the uh, Convention on the Rights of the Child as well as on the Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities. Both of those make provision for the importance of children with disabilities of school-going age to actually be included in education. One of the good things about our country is that we don't um, see a big separation between gender issues here. Uh, we find that equally uh, the number of boys and girls with disabilities who attend school, that that number is is quite equal, whereas in a lot of the other countries there is a disparity between boys and girls with girls being even more vulnerable to to not attending school. So um, we know that there are lots of these policies and lots of these documents in place. And the other thing that really is positive about our constitution is that um, the right to education for all children is enshrined in our Bill of Rights and in the Constitution. So we do not have a separate law, like, for example, in America, where they have um, a specific law that only deals with children with disabilities. So our law is really very inclusive right from the beginning because it makes provision for all children in that law. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Prof. Bornman. That's very, very clear. Um, And thank you for the research and the work that you do. And we may talk to you again someday, perhaps. I hope so. Thank you very much. And it really is a a pleasure to just be able to share some of the work that I do um, in a field that I think is really a very important part of of what we have to do when we look at children with disabilities. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good Thanks, day. Francis. Bye-bye. Bye. So, Margot, that was very interesting talking to Prof Bornman and just getting a sense of all of these bits and pieces that she's talking about. As she was talking, what I was thinking about, of course, was you have a child of school-going age. He's six. Um, can you tell me about the journey? I know he is in school, but can you tell me about the journey to get him into school and what kind of school he is in? Okay. Uh, with pleasure. Uh, but isn't Professor Bornman wonderful? She is. I'm so glad that <laughs> there are people like her doing the kind of work that they are doing. It makes, sets my mother's heart at, at ease. Um, so, yeah, uh, my son, Richie, attends Sacred Heart College, Catholic mm-hmm. 
school, private school in, in Johannesburg. Um, <clears throat> and he has got an interesting journey um, to that school. That school is particularly close to my heart. Do you want me to tell you the story? Yes, okay. tell us the story. <laughs> so, so Richie's older brother um, attends the school, and I assumed that Richie would similarly simply um, join up when, it, when his turn came. So when his turn did come and it was time for me to fill in the application forms, I did so and realized that, you know, the fact that he was had a quite a marked disability, he walks with, with a pronounced limp, um, was new, let's say, to the to the staff at the school. And um I got a phone call and we had to go and talk about through what what Richie's special needs might be and what kind of accommodations might have to be made. So I think one of the attitudes that one can encounter from any stranger is fear or shock at the beginning of, of you know, meeting that unknown, as Prof. Bournemouth was saying, unknown is unloved. The more you become exposed, the more you know, the more time you spend with that person, the less frightened you become of living. And I think particularly with children, you know, people are horrified at the idea that a, a little innocent child must live in a way that they might perceive to be unimaginably hard. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I think it comes from a good place, you know, but but one of the the, the the knee-jerk responses is to say, I, I can't deal with this. This child must go away and, and not impinge on further on my consciousness. <laughs> okay. Um, so to their great credit, the school f uh, called us in and we had a meeting and we spoke through the, the kinds of requirements. And it turned out that the kinds of requirements were quite minor. Now, I know that it's a private school and they are not bound to accept any child who just walks in and, and asks to be admitted. Um, having said that, they... Uh, did admit my child. However, they had previously had <laughs> an application from another boy with spina bifida whom they had turned away. And to their eternal credit, the minute our meeting finished, they picked up the phone and, you know, called the mother of the other child and said, okay, sorry, we <laughs> took you away. We made a mistake. And there is actually a place for him in the school. And we now have three spina bifida children at Sacred Heart College. And so I'm just moved by the willingness of the school to admit to a possible misstep, or not even a misstep, but just to be able to um, examine itself and change its course. And I think they, I, I, I speak under correction because I'm not the staff there, but I think they have found that the kinds of accommodations that have had to be made have been relatively minor and easily managed. For example, um, both this other child and my child, when it's time for break, um, they use various wheelchairs or access walkers to, to help them get to the break area quicker. And the children m actually compete over uh, who gets access to pushing that walker or that wheelchair down to the swimming pool, or down to the break area, or wherever it may be. And so, you know, the children have integrated that need um, into their own day at school, and it's, it's no big deal. That's just, it's, it's a lovely story, and mm. it's very heartening that it is a Catholic school that's done this. It makes us feel sort of, you know, proud of being Catholic. But also, I think it picks up some things that I just want to tease out a little bit. Um, 
as everyone who listens to this show knows, I never let an opportunity to talk about Catholic social teaching, teaching pass me by. So I think there are two things here that are really important that come out of the church's body of teaching. The first, as Margot correctly picks up, is this idea that one is able to review one's activity, to review what one has done, and when necessary to go back and say, actually, let's change tack. This isn't, this isn't in in the greater interest of the glory of God. And to be able to say, okay, we realize we could do things differently. And that's very important to be self-reflective. And I think the minute we're talking about diversity, whether we're talking about integrating girls into an all-boys school or integrating a racial group together or integrating abled and disabled kids, there needs to be space for that kind of self-reflection, not only once, but in an ongoing manner that one is thinking, well, how is this working? What's going on? What's working? What isn't? That's part of of being an aware human. I like the fact that you um, point out it's an ongoing reflection. So, you know, one misstep or one mistake or one time where it did not work out doesn't spell the end. It's, mm-hmm. you know, there, there may be a, a time where you attempted to um, accommodate a child, you find you can't accommodate that child. Um, or, you know, for whatever reason, a relationship breaks down between a school and a pupil. Um, but I do value Sacred Heart's commitment to encouraging diversity, and I think they're doing so across all of those categories that we just spoke about. Yeah. I think the other point that's really important, which was kind of coming through with what Professor Bornman was talking about, is the innate human dignity of every person and the rights of every person. And here's a moment where UN Accords and Catholic social teaching really come together. There is a real sense that each person needs to be seen as special, as unique, as gifted in their own in their own right, and that we each bring something to the world. You know, that lovely sense that comes through the church's teaching that each person brings a gift or has the potential to bring a gift from God to the world if we are living in accordance with God's will. And there's that that real sense that being disabled should not exclude people from the basic sense of being fundamentally human and gifted. On that note, we're going to play a piece of music. And then we will be back with you. (laughs) 